0: 3 years, I think they're going to follow that 10-15-20% price growth, and because people have their heads up their ass about just only buying houses, they're missing out on the opportunity. Hello everybody, this is the Wealthy Podcast. I hope you're having a lovely day, and today we are very lucky to have Tiffy Rubina to join the show. Tiffy, thank you for joining Louis and Sam and I on the show today.
1: My pleasure.
0: So to all of you out there, we are going to be talking about houses versus apartments. Uh, this is an age-old question. What should you invest in? Now, for a lot of us, we think you should invest in both. Porque no las dos? Is that how they say it, Tiffy? Porque no las
1: dos? Yeah, pretty, okay. pretty spot on.
0: <laughs> Pr- pretty close. So today we're going to talk about each of the investment classes. We're going to describe, you know, what makes a house a good investment, some of the benefits and some of the, say the risks, and then also what makes an apartment a good investment and and then the same, what risks are associated with an apartment. So let's start with Tiffy. Let's talk about houses to begin with. Um, What are some of the things that you consider when investing in a house over an apartment? What can an investor expect to get from a house over an apartment and why would we go that way?
1: Awesome. So no investment is perfect and there's always going to be advantages and disadvantages. For me, when I'm looking at houses, what's going to be mostly the case within my budget is that I have to be a bit further away from the CBD and therefore I need to be mindful of transport and infrastructure, and making sure that there is employment hubs and other things close by. And um, so those are some of the things that I consider when I'm looking at having a bit more of a land component, really.
0: So just to hone in that, because that's, that's, that's a really good point. With a house, more often than not, people are tempted to buy a house, and that means they've got to go further away from CBDs. And what that does is it takes them away from employment hubs, it takes them away from transport, infrastructure, and all the things that make a good area a worthy investment. And you're just particularly mindful. Is it fair to say, should should you expect to be walking to train stations when you're investing in a house? Or is it, you know, now you're thinking more about car parking, car spaces, how many bedrooms and all that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I'm being mindful. Not always. I'm going to have a train station close by. It definitely is a plus if I do get it. And I've gone in the past for a strategy where I go to tier three cities. And it's the pros and cons of that, where sometimes I'm not attracting the best quality tenants and those cities might not have a lot of infrastructure in place. but. If that's the case, then I'm considering like minimum populations because I don't want to be for the sake of buying a house, going to the middle of nowhere where basically there is a, a high dependency on one industry or very low population. It's it's very tricky. Right. So I'd much rather as I grow my portfolio, I'm sticking more to the bigger cities and in the bigger cities, you get more of the infrastructure. Which is great. Now that's where I start considering like the closeness and what's there and what's not and the type of tenant that I'm going to be attracting.
0: So before we go to Sam, let me just ask, what do you consider a tier three city and what what kind of a population minimum is important to you when you're investing in, like when you're looking at good housing markets?
1: Cool. So minimum population that I would want, um, it's probably at least 30,000 people, not less. And yeah, it's not just about the population. There's other things like what are the employments in the area. If it's just linked to one single industry, I I don't like it. It needs to be have a variety of things going on. So yeah, that's probably the answer. But again, I'm I'm stepping away of that strategy right now.
0: Yeah, you're getting into closer to CBDs. Oh, right. What was that said?
2: No, I was just asking, if you're stepping away from what strategy?
1: From the, the tier three cities yeah, type absolutely. of strategy. And usually being mindful that yeah. even like in Australia, when you are wanting to go a bit more regional, it most likely will involve you having to have larger deposits. So I was talking over the weekend with a friend of mine wanting to buy his own home. He's living in Mildura. And it, depending on which part of Mildura he buys, he needs either 30 or 40% deposits.
0: Because of the perceived risk, banks want a higher loan-to-value ratio before you go and purchase. Sam, I, I you, everyone knows you—you're the developer man. You go out and buy houses. Yeah. Um, when you do your development, yeah. Sure. Um, can we talk a little bit about how you see houses and what the major benefit yeah. is when buying a house over an apartment?
2: Yeah, sure. So look, I'm, um, I'm really quite old traditional. I'm a pro land purchase. I think that should be your first. Opt um, as as a as a purchase investment. The way I like it is that when you are investing into a home, the pros are is that there tends to be more capital growth, so higher capital growth. In investing in a home, I feel like there's always a, a a way down the track to either manufacture your own capital growth as well. You know the opportunities to to either renovate, subdivide, or anything along that you know along that path if you want to go down to it. And what I like about investing into homes as well is that there's consistent rental returns. I feel like houses attract a certain type of demographic, you know, such as like families, professional couples, uh, couples, double income, two kids, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like um, families tend to nest in homes um, and, and they like to stay in in, in in certain suburbs for like schooling, work opportunities or anything of, of that sort. So I feel like there is that peace of mind when you are investing into a home, but the certain kind of tenant um, would like to stay there a bit long term. Um, and I have to say, look, there are sometimes cons in investing uh, in, in in into homes as well. So I want to echo what Tiffy said, and, and and Tiffy said that there is no such thing as a perfect investment, and sometimes homes can can offer you, you know, a, you know, can offer you a bit of uh, the, the negative side of it, which is. You know, sometimes the maintenance costs, and generally the upkeep, you know, prices are are a lot higher, and um, and sometimes that 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 lower rental yield compared to the purchase price is 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 that you know isn't isn't always healthy. So, um, I want to say that my uh, my first per, my first opt of purchasing is a home with a land component, but I just generally think as an overall. Um, there is no such thing as a perfect dwelling. Um, there are other it's the factors that really play into a role into your investment.
0: Yeah, depending on what your price is, I think clients will be scared of some areas that they'll have to go to to buy a house. Yeah, I agree. And the areas that they go to will then bring up some questionable tenants. Yeah. And I've had nightmare tenants and I've had clients that have had nightmare tenants and Tiffy has had you know, one particular story where they got robbed multiple times and mm. and payments don't come in. And so, depending on what the, the demographic makeup is of the area yeah. and how cheap you want to go, then there are other costs yeah. that come that aren't necessarily monetary up front. Yeah, sure. I do like the fact that you pointed to tenancies because… Yeah. When you do get a good family in there and you've chosen the right market, they are very sticky tenants oh. and if they keep on growing their family, they've got more stuff, bikes, you know, ski equipment, yeah. whatever it is, and they don't want to go. But the other side of that is you're probably less likely to be increasing the rent. Mm. I've noticed that with my apartments and we'll move to that, when you pick inner city apartments, there's the opportunity to every six or 12 months to up the rent. You know, you've got that choice of moving the rent up because if they don't want to stay, they'll move out, and there's another tenant ready for you. Um, Louis, when you're looking at houses, what are the major benefits that you see over apartments, and why do you like investing in houses?
3: I, I think I'll play devil's advocate if I speak on on both sides of the equation. I think that my first point would be if the drivers and the stats and data make sense, then the asset itself should always be looked at in a light like in a clear light, if that makes sense. So just because it's a house and, and and you've got an apartment next to it, if the drivers and these drivers I'm talking about, population, employment, growth, demographic, infrastructure and investment and, and everything aligns and it aligns for an apartment and it aligns for a house, the, the positives there would be obviously we're, we're taking a land component as what Sam said, we're probably getting the best quality tenants in a house. It might most likely be a young family and, and they're gluey, they don't move. Whereas in an apartment, I think that you, you'll have a, a rotating tenancy schedule all the time. You know, often not, there'll be six to 12 month leases. If you're lucky, they might go on for another 12 months. Often not, if you're in an apartment, you might grow out of it in a year. So I think investing in a house, you're always going to get land component and that's probably the most ideal. But I don't think, uh, apart- I think apartments get a bad rap or more of a bad rap than they than they should.
0: Look, I agree. My my next point is going to be let's talk about all the benefits of apartments.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, because there's certainly a lot of benefits. But one before we move on to that, I do want to say that I I do love houses. Uh, there's there's something about owning a block of land, and for the more advanced investors out there there are opportunities for you to almost land bank where if you're choosing the right zoning, if you're buying uh, in strategic locations, there are opportunities where in the future you may be able to do a duplex Mm. or you may be able to do some townhouses or amalgamate the site and become a a Mr. Developer or Builder. But that does take time and there is, again, a cost that comes with that Mm. because when you do buy some of these bigger blocks, Uh, It may come with an old home, it may come with, you know, it, it may be underutilized, meaning that you're spending a lot of cash up front to buy a big block, but the amount of rent that you're receiving is fractional compared to what you'd get for a newer, smaller piece of real estate. So, again, that comes at a cost and you may be stuck foregoing cash on a weekly or monthly basis on the hope that you can do something in the future. But then bear in mind there are a lot more sophisticated developers, builders like Sam that are out there that may be seeing something that you're not seeing. So when you buy that block of land, you've got to be mindful of any easements or any covenants, or you know what's the stormwater runoff, or you know what's is the block in a, a flood prone prone area? Um, is there any issues with soil contamination? So I just want to highlight all of that before I go and also talk about the fact that you know it is a big opportunity, but it comes with a whole host of issues. Sure. Mm-hmm. God, God forbid, you know you've got you know uh, termites or waterproofing issues or any number of other issues that come with buying these these little hidden gems. So before we move on to apartments, what else do we want to add? Anything to houses and why we should be buying houses? Like what's the strategic What's the strategic angle behind buying the, that house? The
2: strategic angle is simply that there's only so much land and it will eventually become very valuable and very scarce, you know, in the generations to come. So if you, if you own, you know, a, a lot with the land portion, I believe uh, historically it shows that land will always, um, you know, outvalue, say, you know, strata apartments.
1: Now, <laughs> I th- I think that's... That
0: was a, n- a mic drop. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Sam, you're right as long as you're comparing apples with apples, right? Like if mm. we're within a certain city and we're comparing, let's say I'm comparing Sydney apartments and Sydney houses, right? Now, if we start comparing what we can afford within a certain budget and it might be a Sydney apartment or um, Queensland house and land, that's where... I I probably would be more inclined to go for a Sydney apartment than a Queensland house and land because of demand and supply. And when you just mentioned how land is limited, there is definitely a lot more land in Queensland than apartments in Sydney for the demand that they get, right? Like populations are completely different. The amount of employment when Australia opens its borders, you'll get a lot of migration coming to where the employment is. And therefore, like, we just need to be mindful of what we're comparing against what within a certain budget.
0: Yeah, good point. Because what Sam said there is perfectly right, but even with apartments, there is certain amounts of scarcity within certain locations because if... I love town planning, it's a weird thing for me to say, but if if when you travel the world and you look at different cities, you go to Barcelona and there's only, there's certain height limits. When you go to Paris, there's certain height limits. Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, there are different locations have height limits, which then determine how many apartments can go to a given area. And then, depending on what location you go to, there might be issues in the soil, which means you can't develop houses. So there's certain constraints. So with an apartment, what you're doing is you're buying airspace. And right now I'm sitting in an apartment and a house wouldn't have the view that I've got. I've got 180 degree views of the ocean and this is very valuable airspace that that has been growing very, very quickly because there's not that many people that are up on the hill that have this view. Mm. Now, this, I would argue, is growing faster than many houses in Brisbane, many houses in any, you know, uh, rural or regional cities. So... Again, great point. You have to do apples with apples. Mm. You can't just say all houses everywhere are better than all apartments everywhere. And that's that's a big argument of mine as well. Lou, what do you think about this? No, I agree. I think that um, people's
3: choice to, if, if you're comparing same dollar figures, you can get some some very differing pieces of real estate in different in different capital cities, as Tiffy mentioned, that you can get, you know, uh, for the same price as a one plus one in a city, or you know, uh, shortly, a a sought after location in Sydney. You can probably get, you know, four hundred or five hundred square meters of land in Brisbane. But where does the? Um, I think I asked this question to you, Dom, yesterday, or actually the three of you. Where does the? Where does the? Where does the? the tide swing. So when when does the moment you start getting up to 650-750 and you and you're looking at apartments, when when does that moment you go okay, well, why don't I drop back down and pick up a piece of uh, a land in a house that may be 550 but in a different capital city. But I think we might pr- probably be going into that later on, so we can touch on that.
0: We going to talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, you brought it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So
1: I want to say that there's never going to be a right or wrong answer, and it will have a lot to do with what you're trying to achieve. Mm. And I, you guys know me as Mrs. Cashflow. I love having good, strong yields, and therefore I'm always open to consider um, apartments, because apartments usually will have a stronger yield than a house. And especially as I grow my portfolio, when you start, you just choose something and go for it, try to learn. There's no diversifying. But now that I'm getting the chance to diversify my portfolio as I grow it, I have to be mindful about paying land tax in each different state where I own property. And therefore, it might be good for my portfolio to get a few of those great um, apartments where I'm in a in an area, as Dom mentioned, that is quite sought after. It's closer to a CBD or employment hub than what I could afford as land component, and I'm trying to limit my land tax.
0: See, I, I think that op- there also depends on the time in the market, what the apartment is. Mm. You know, the price is so much. So let's just play... Um, Let's, I'm going to pretend like I'm my sister for a second. So she hasn't bought a property yet and she may want to take advantage of the First Home Buyers Grant. So she wants to enter the market and for $600,000, she'll buy a brand new apartment and it might be a one or a two bedroom depending on where we go and find it. She won't pay any stamp duty. Depending on what we can negotiate with the developer, it might be a 5% deposit. So instead of 60K, she can enter with 30K. So it really all depends on... on time, place, what you're doing in your portfolio? Are you trying to diversify, Are you trying to enter the market? I also think that there is, as Tiffy's saying, there's some really good, unique opportunities with apartments. I, I, I like to use my St. Peter's pad as a, an example. It's right on the edge of Newtown. It was very underpriced. It was an area that was going to grow and it, because you could see that there's a new train station getting upgraded, you know, the new roads are going in. It's just time, place, what's the opportunity? And some apartments are just absolutely awesome. I lived there for three years and I had a great time. And if I were to sell it now, I'd pocket a bucket load of cash and I can go buy a house later. So yeah, yeah, it's hard to say. I'm I am i I've in saying that I've just recently bought a house. So mm-hmm. what 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 do you think, Sam? What would it take for you to buy an apartment? Because I know that you're heavily weighted towards yeah. townhouses and houses. Look,
2: I again, I have to agree. Um, you know, um, I, an example. I just want to throw an example. I saw an apartment that I really, really like for myself. So not as an investment um, in in uh, Broad Beach around three years ago. Am I? Am my connection's good? Yep. Um, yep. and um, it, it was a two-bedroom apartment for $660,000, partial ocean views. I thought about it heavily, but I thought, you know what, I'll go, I want to go back to um, you know, m- my own investment strategy and stick to land component. I went back and I saw um, neighboring apartments in the same building all being sold for 800-something grand. So in three years' time, I lost out at about over 200K in equity growth so, for me to say that the strategy of buying a home is, is, going, to be this, is going to be the only way for a, a successful portfolio is, is, is completely, you know, wrong. And um, so, it's things like that that, I, that I've missed out on personally because I was so adamant or so stubborn on, on, on what, I, what I think would work for me. So, for me to choose an apartment, I would, it would have to be based upon um, the area's growth. And it would have to be a cost relative, a value relative, a value relative um, um, comparison between homes and apartments in the area, and that's when I'll identify whether or not I'm buying at good value and there is um, substantial growth. Um, you know, that's that's um, focused for the suburb. So,
0: so that's interesting. You know, two hundred thousand dollars is no small chunk of change, yeah. and your original investment would have been sixty k or maybe. 100%.
2: Yeah, and I said no because I thought, ah, oh, that's that's just not what I do. I don't buy partial ocean views. I'm not at that age yet. I just completely sold myself out of it, and now the sister the sister um, apartments are all being selling for eight hundred something grand, and I'm like, I could have sold that and bought a la la la, or just yeah. So just one of big losses, one of the big lessons and and, and slash losses that you you could make as an investor when you are you know so um focused on a certain strategy and then not seeing the opportunity for what it is in front of you.
0: Can I because you said something really important there and I think it's especially important now. You said that the values in the area and, and the relative nature of the prices. Yeah. So what we're seeing in across Australia broadly, yeah. particularly in the major metropolitan hubs, yeah. is house prices have jumped exponentially. Sure. 10, 15, 20% price growth. Apartments have moved marginally. Now, what we've noticed, talking to CoreLogic, talking to, um, you know, the major economists is houses move first and then apartments soon follow or Sydney moves first and then, you know, Melbourne, Brisbane soon follows. There's the leader and then there's the carry. So I think that there's an opportunity now in Australia and I, I, I one YouTube person commented say why do you always talk about apartments? The reason why we're talking about apartments now is because I can see a huge opportunity for them. I look at around Sydney you can go and spend between 500 and say seven hundred thousand dollars and you can get a good apartment that in the next three years, I think they're gonna follow that 10, 15, 20 percent price growth and because people have their heads up their ass about just only buying houses, they're missing out on the opportunity I agree. or they're waiting an extra year or two years to get a bigger deposit because they've got this arrogant streak that I'll only ever do this. And I'm sorry to, to, to say it after you just said that, Sam, but that's the perfect anecdote. You know, sure. you missed out on an opportunity that 200 K just doesn't get thrown in your lap every day. day. Thousands.
1: And also, also you, it's very hard to actually put this in place, but a lot of people like following the masses. We all feel very comfortable when everyone's doing something, we all want to, go and follow that, it feels comfortable. I try my best to not follow masses and this is what I've been doing for a while. So if everyone's buying right now in Sydney and Melbourne has been suffering, I'd rather go Melbourne. If everyone in Canberra has been buying houses and houses have massively gone up in value but the apartments haven't caught up, then this is the best time to be buying apartments in Canberra, right? So I know it takes guts to go and not follow the masses and invest where most people aren't seeing the opportunity but there's a lot of catch up to be done and that's right now the situation with apartments in many areas. So there's catch up to be done if everyone went and bought land in the western city suburbs in the last year then there's some great apartments as opportunities.
3: If you were if you were an aggressive investor and you wanted to say time was your biggest so affordability wasn't uh, you needed to you know remain affordable say under 700 grand but you had a limited time frame say 5 to 10 years and you really wanted to start spending on property really hard and and we all know that land value and and houses will appreciate the fastest can you still be an aggressive investor and have an apartment strategy
0: absolutely mm mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. You can absolutely be an aggressive investor and buy some apartments. Again, you've got to be strategic. You can't just buy any apartment because that's how you'll get hurt. Mm. Same thing with houses. But if you're strategic about it um, and, and you choose the right markets, I think that that's where a lot of opportunity is. Land values have moved very, very quickly because we had a couple of things have happened recently. One, during COVID, a lot of developers, a lot of landowners decided to stop uh, their developments, slow down the DA process, slow down the building process because they anticipated that there'd be uh, a huge stop on the amount of demand. Then what happened? The government came in, put a whole heap of incentives in for people to go and do uh, buy brand new houses, to go and upgrade their homes and to start trading. So a huge amount of demand came into the market. And what happened was there was very little supply, a huge amount of government grants, all of these first home buyers and all of these owner-occupiers stepped into the market, sucked up a lot of that land. And you and I are now experiencing this. Houses everywhere have rocketed off. Apartments haven't really moved.
1: If you look at the approvals, I think we are at... 10.5% below the decade average of unit approvals for the last financial year, 2020, 2021. So if it's demand and supply and there is definitely a lot of approvals happening for houses, then there's going to be a shortage of of apartments in the future.
0: Well, that's the point, that now all the conversations I'm having with different people and and higher-ups and Stocklands and Frasers, they're all now to push, they're pushing their DAs through. So we're going to see a flood of housing estates coming to the market prices will remain relatively stagnant for a while because you're going to see a whole heap of green fields come in and the older houses won't move as much because I go well why don't I just go buy a new home around the corner in a nice new beautiful tree line suburb and then it's going to be this massive shortage of supply because the houses are unattainable are too expensive I want to live in that area so I'll buy an apartment but there's no apartment stock so that, that, that the prices will run there. I've seen it. I've experienced it in the last boom. Um, you've all experienced it, so I think that yeah, that that's the opportunity for the next sort of three to five years. So, team, let's move along and talk about uh, the weekly toss-up. This is Strata versus No Strata. So. Let's go over to Louis and start with you. Let's talk about some of the pros and cons of strata versus no strata.
3: I'm actually going to offload the baton first uh, to Tiff okay. because t- I don't want to repeat what uh, Tiffy and I's conversation we had yesterday. Um, and I don't want to steal her, her thunder and her point. But Tiffy made a very good point to me yesterday. And I think this weighs heavy on people's minds and decisions, and it also should come into the decision-making process when deciding whether or being very critical on Strata. So, Tiffy, please
1: thanks louie so there is a misconception people think that when you're weighing houses versus apartments it's either strata versus nothing and what people don't realize is what a strata will usually pay most of what a strata pays is insurance building insurance so if you're buying an apartment uh, me as an investor i would only um, get landlord's insurance and there's no need for me to pay additional buildings insurance because that's being paid by the strata Whereas if I'm going and buying a house, I will have to do both building and landlord's insurance. So just be mindful that it's not something versus nothing. And, and it's the whole maintenance. So whenever I'm paying for maintenance of a house, all of the exteriors, the painting, the roof, etc., that's everything that needs to come out of my pocket. Whereas if there's a strata, it's going to be divided across many, many people. And then if you are worried about strata, you can simply focus, for instance, the if you go to Melbourne, usually it has the lowest stratas. Whereas if you go up to Queensland because insurance for Queensland because of the weather is more expensive, strata is going to be a bit more expensive. So you can always try to manage that strata depending on what your preference is.
3: I think, Dom, that's that's the exact point I was going to make. So, I think also, would you say if you were interstate, a strata, a board or a strata committee and you're paying the strata is almost just like a, an eyes on the ground, uh, you know, people in place to protect essentially or, or have that your asset in its best interest? The US you are paying a fee and it probably seems annoying or it can be… Quite cost, uh, you know, quite costly over a long periods of time. When you when you look at it, and if you're buying a house, you're paying nothing. But as Tiff said, you're probably going to add up in 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 upkeep costs that probably a strata fee would be per year. So I think it probably levels it, levels it uh,
0: levels each other out. Well, it, it again depends on state to state where Sam's from. Melbourne strata is is ridiculously low relative to say Sydney and Brisbane. Um, and you're you're right it comes down to how that strata is managed you know you can be on a part of some really good committees where they're looking to maintain the, the gardens look after the building and a well-maintained strata facility is excellent yeah it could be 10 20 years later uh, sam's hates that i use him as a, a point of reference but in his area like that that Eastern yeah. suburbs area. There's some really beautifully maintained
2: strata building. And like, if if you are lis- if you are listening to this and you are looking to purchase a strata property, my advice would be to you is you know do some investigating into the overall say financial health of the body corporate um, and maybe you know the complex in which you're looking to purchase. Just know that if you want extra features like barbecue areas, lap pools um gym areas you know that comes at a price tag um and 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 seek the advice of of a solicitor who's got who can obtain reports of, of of levies that have been paid individual owners within the group there's a lot of ways of investigating um you know a good strata company so strata just in general has a stigma of it being bad because you fork out money but strata in fact the advantages are is to keep the the building you know to upkeep the building maintain the value, maintain the quality of, of, you know, of the facade, of the common areas, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not all doom and gloom with Strata, but but I just know we all run to current affair and we see one little bad, um, you know, one bad story and in, in kind of ripple effects, you know, every other Strata company. So, and, and it's not the case. And, and I mean, look, there are disadvantages with Strata, but, um, you know, it, it, we it, with anything, there's, there's, there's the good and the bad, you know? So
0: it comes at a cost, certainly. And, and look, I'll play uh, somewhere in the middle where I, they both have their opportunities. Certainly, upfront houses uh, don't have that cost of shutter, so it feels like it's cheaper. Mm. Um, But there are actually some new communities that have a community title where it's still a house. It's still Torrance title or community title where they charge you a small fee for the maintenance and upkeep of the streetscape and the grass and the trees within the area. So, it's a small strata-ish fee, but it's just, again, to maintain the area and make it look and feel like a really nice uh, community. So, Again, it depends on how the strata is managed. As Sam said, if you do your research, look at the reports. Is there a sinking fund? Is there a capital works fund? How much money's in there? What's the history of it? If it's good and clean, that's fantastic. But if it's a nightmare and a mess, then keep away from it.
1: And we've seen some great ways to... like, There's a few examples, especially in Melbourne, where we've seen developers bring amazing amenities and things that are more and more important now after COVID, like co-working spaces, private gym, et cetera, et cetera, and how they manage it is, especially because Melbourne has low Um, low strata it's actually you can afford it without nothing weird going on but even they've been pretty smart in trying to create spaces that can be rented out to like a wellness center or personal trainers and all of that income can be managed by the strata to reduce your quarterly or annual strata fees but even when we look at the annual strata without assuming any income of those particular areas, it's still very affordable and and great to be offering amazing amenities because it will attract way more tenants than any other competing apartment.
0: Oh Melbourne that has some of the best maintained facilities. Like one of I, I want to buy a Melbourne apartment because of the amenity in these buildings. They're just jaw-dropping. Squash courts, mm. indoor soccer courts, arcades, gyms, wellness centers. You know, car washing, dog washing, all of this amazing stuff, but then the fees are low and then also some of the developers are handing over the facility to the Strata to manage and collect the rent. It's phenomenal.
3: Yeah.
0: Are there any other points we want to add to Strata versus no Strata? Yep. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. Well, that leads us to uh, the next segment, which is client questions. So Jenny, uh, to all of you that are out there that are listening, please keep submitting your client questions. We really do love seeing them come through. There's We had a whole heap come in and I'll just go through them here. But there's one that I want to talk about because it's close to my heart. Um, so Steph from New South Wales has asked about buying in a holiday town such as Jindabyne or the Snowy Mountains and our thoughts on that.
1: Dom, I actually, um, two years ago, analyzed buying in by myself. and Let's hear what you have to say. I looked at population, and I struggled with a population of around 4,000 people. I know in winter it doubles, triples, but it's very much reliant on having a good season. And the issue is, for instance, now we have lockdowns in Sydney, right, and in Melbourne people who were meant to go skiing for this amazing season and, and I've done full uh, ski seasons already like twice and I love it. It's just that it's very heavily reliant on one industry mm. and that scares me a bit.
0: I agree. Sam, do you have an opinion on yeah, this? Yeah, I do. I'm not a fan of,
2: of seasonal rentals, I call them. Um, to me, it just doesn't give me that, that security that as an investor... Um, that, 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 I, that I project or, or want it to perform in a certain way. So this is just my take. I just feel if you are a first-time investor, I, I feel like you should dip your, your toes into a traditional conventional way of investing before you start dabbling into the, you know, the holiday side and, 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 and holiday home and, um, uh, and an Airbnb style or whatever the intentions are.
0: Louis, th- yeah. does your point, or do you differ much from that? No, it's it's I don't
3: know. It's it, I think it's a bow to complete your portfolio because you, you might be able to retire in it. Retire in it. You know the kids could move in it. The, the, it doesn't really need to provide you much funds. You, you could, you know, it could not even be rented out towards the end if you've got enough properties under your belt. You could have bought it with equity, and you know you jet up there on most weekends to you know Nelson Bay or or you fly up to Noosa or something, but. I don't think it's a it's a property to consider if you are if you're serious in building a really well structured portfolio in your early years.
0: I 100% agree with all of your sentiments. It's it's the kind of move that you make when your portfolio is matured. I yeah. think. Yeah. You know, I was talking about what I'd buy earlier this year. I ended up buying something. I bought a house in Nelson Bay. Um, so Louis just gave a little nod to that. Now, I bought that investment with Charlotte and the reason why we did it is because it's a lifestyle investment. I want to escape Sydney. I want to go hang out there, spend some time in Nelson Bay. It's certainly a good opportunity. Uh, You can uh, rent it out, short-term rental accommodation. It will make you some money, but prepare to have your hands well and truly entrenched in doing the deal. There's a lot of moving parts. You got to think about a lot more than just, you know, the furniture, the, the the house, you got to buy the furniture, the, the forks, the spoons, the towels, the maintenance, the cleaning, the upkeep. And then now it's, I'm stuck in Sydney and I have a house that's empty and I'm paying a mortgage with no rent. So, dumb- that is reminding me every single day. <laughs>
1: But, and also, it's very different. Like I, when I look at your investment in Nelson Bay, the population is completely different. If you had to make that property a long-term rental property, you could. So you have other options as well. I do feel that the seasonality—it's—it's it's a, a bit less seasonal than Gindavan, right? So there's definitely. The, it's a different type of both our lifestyle and both our seasonal, but very different in consideration.
0: Yeah, a friend of mine actually bought a, an apartment in Ginderbine. I thought he submitted the question, so yeah, you're absolutely right. But but Andy went and bought that apartment, and he doesn't need the money. Like he bought it; it's <laughs> currently empty. It's been untenanted. It doesn't matter to yeah. him because it's just I have an yeah. apart, I have a bolt hole over there. He yeah. is a snowboarder and he bought it specifically because he wants to escape and he is a quasi-professional snowboarder. So unless yeah. you're prepared to forego that rent yeah. and it's just a lifestyle thing, I, I wouldn't be relying upon it.
2: Yeah, not for the penny pincher investor, that's for sure.
0: No, not 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 your first investment, maybe not your second, sure. fifth or sixth, maybe. Yeah. Mm.
2: Next question.
0: Next next question. <laughs> So we'll do one more of these. Um, what what have we got here? <laughs> okay, this is this is an odd question. I don't know w- what the answer is here. So we've got a lot of people from Sydney asking us questions. So Tim from Sydney has said, "Which is a better tenant: young couple with good income or family with kids?"
2: I'd, Over to you, Tim. I'd, I'd like to answer this. There okay. is a thing. Theme- there is a thing with profiling certain tenants. There is no such thing as a certain demographic of a tenant is better than the other. I've had two professionals from PricewaterhouseCoopers um, have both rented out my place and have both have left it in an undesirable state. Now, you'd think on paper that they're both executive great income earners, that they'll look after that the place they're in. doesn't mean anything. I then replaced them with a family and two kids and then they did the right thing. So, uh, the answer to that is is that whilst your property manager is vetting out applications as to um, you know who's renting your you know your investment property, um, there is a bit of luck into it. There's no crystal ball as to if they are or they aren't looking after the property. But to aim solely for a certain demographic, I think is a very silly um, is, a, is a very silly way to you know to look at a, a pool of, of tenants out there. So. Um, to answer to that is that there is no such thing as a better than the other. It's about your property manager, or whoever is, is is you know vets out these applications, screens them well, great great rental history, and will provide, you know, some kind of assurance that the place will be looked after to a certain standard. Do you guys Some
1: I've had I've had the opposite experience to you, so oh, I've right. just mentioned <laughs> so I've had this one property that has been my my nightmare. Um, in the last year, I've gone to Tenancy TV Tribunal three times, which is horrible. I'm currently going right now for the third time. And the last three tenants have been families. Again, it's a completely different type of strategy, a tier three city, tier three suburbs. Families are coming and going. They're like quite unstable from a job perspective. A lot of issues in in this particular city mm. and finally my property manager calls me uh, last Friday and says Tiffy I have something different for you if you want to consider it so the daughter of my best friend just broke up with her boyfriend and she wants to move into your house with two friends I was like this is the first time I won't have a family in there I was like yes let's go for it I want that 20 year old loving this amazing and it's a huge house it's five bedrooms and two bathrooms. So these three girls were pictur- picturing like one bedroom becoming a full walk-in wardrobe for all three of them. And like having all of these plans, it's like, great, let's try something different because families are not working for me in this city.
2: Yeah. Well, good luck with that one. That's, that's, Thanks. That
0: sounds like a <laughs> big fun house. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> a good sk- I'm glad it's, it's three girls and not three guys. <laughs> But, but then again, you know, Louis sharing a, a house with a bunch of guys and you look—you take care of it.
3: Mate, we are the cleanest of the clean. So, I can attest for I'm going to uh, send out a, a message to all property owners. If you are considering three young males, we aren't all bad. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're often not we do get a bad rap, you know, 20s male. Um in a city, but we, uh, it's yeah. I'm only joking. We 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 keep the place beautiful, neat, and tidy. But to the point, I think that you can you can have you know you can have good and bad on both sides, depending on who. But uh, to going on what we said earlier, Dom, having kids glued to a property, well, I reckon will often. Uh, you'll you'll see longer-term longer, longer term tenancies and more willing to keep the tenancy or keep the home if rents are jacked up. You know, if you're, if you're very, you know, disposable individuals like us, if, if our rent was, you know, pushed up any higher, then, you know, we got a rental increase and that's fine. But if, if our rent was, you know, pushed up to an extreme amount, we'd just say, oh, we'll, we'll move on. We don't have any ties to this area, neighbourhood, we, we'll just go find something else on the market. Whereas a family might go, you know what? The, the kids go to school 100 meters away. We can afford an extra 150 bucks.
0: Mm. Cool. I've got all types of tenants. Had young people that have that have fucked my place up, and I've got older people that have done the same thing. I had a tenant recently prepay uh, six months. Oh, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. So I, I, I've had good, bad families, young people, all sorts of stuff. I, I don't. I think yeah, what you said, Sam, is the most important talk to your your, your um, real estate agent have a look at what their ledgers look like get all the references in do the process properly one thing i will say is don't rush rush the process mm. don't take any shortcuts and you're better having the, the property be empty for a week or two more and get the right tenants than get a nightmare person in because i've had some nightmare people yeah. where they don't pay rent and all sorts of issues and I was out of pocket like eight and a half thousand dollars. So just be careful. Don't rush the process and do it properly.
1: So I do wanna leave a message to everyone listening or watching this, which is please don't be discouraged by all of our comments just now about having had some negative experiences with tenants, simply because That happens as you grow your portfolio and with experience, but if your biggest fear is having bad quality tenants or high vacancy rates, then when we work with clients, we try to understand what's the most important to them. And we can always go and search for those more stable investments that attract better quality tenants right so please don't think everything's bad because overall the balance has been positive in all of our experiences and that's why we keep buying properties
0: so on that note you know team everybody out there listening i hope you've enjoyed this episode don't be discouraged by getting any scary tenants houses versus apartments there's benefits to both there's risks to both um If you want to know more detailed things, subscribe and have a look at the Wealthy Academy. We do do a deep dive in there. And again, if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with all your friends, subscribe, leave a positive review. And we encourage you to jump on YouTube, throw it down some as Sam's pointing down, leave some comments and let us know about some of your experiences and we can discuss them on the show. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it all and catch you all later.